please leave a message after the tone. Hi, I'm Laurel from Boise. As a 20-year-old gal, I find that I most often have to dress about 10 years older than I would have in order for people to respect me at all. And I wear makeup, and it's a mess because I hate it. But um, I find that the, the fancier I dress, the easier it is for me to do my job. So that's what I do. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen, and today we're talking about getting dressed for work. We are reclaiming our closets and our confidence. Hopefully, maybe. Totally. No, we are. Because whether we're podcasters, professionals, interns, lawyers, baristas, bartenders, whatever, there will always be places and spaces and times when we want to dress for success. And a lot of times that means navigating ladylike rules of appearance. Dressing professionally for work. It's super socks. My name is Kate. And I am an occupational therapist, and I have a very classic hourglass figure, which has always been the bane of my fucking existence. Everyone says that, you know, my ass is too big and my tits are out. Um, So I recently decided um, to have a minimalist wardrobe. Everything is stretchy as fuck. Um, I don't feel like I look my best. I don't feel like I look my cutest. But no one ever bothers me for showing my tits and ass anymore. Um, It's the trade-off that I've had to make. That's the thing about dressing for so-called success. In practice, success can mean a thousand things. Maybe it's scoring tips or making your voice heard in a meeting. Or in Kate's case, not getting body shamed for having a booty and boobs. Totally. I mean, whatever the case may be, Kate is far from alone in dealing with this. Most of us need to work, and we can't exactly show up in clothes that'll get us fired. But that can often feel like we need to conceal ourselves in the process. That's what we heard from so many of y'all a while back when we asked Unladylike listeners to share what it's like to get dressed for work. And the big theme was this. However we personally define professional success, however we make money, we want to be taken seriously and treated respectfully at work. So today, with help from listeners, including a lawyer, a historical reenactor, and one of our favorite stand-up comics, we're stripping down what's going on with women, clothing, and power. All to find out, can women really dress for success? Kate's frustration spotlights our most unprofessional physical features, boobs and butts. When it comes to our curves in the workplace, less is more. Just Google image how to look professional and see what comes up. Oh, you want me to actually Google image? Duh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. It's all women. Okay, there there are a couple, like, token men on this page, but, like, it's not, like, a a diverse range of women. No, I mean, it's mostly, like, thin white women with straight hair, all female presenting. 
and all wearing pretty much the same thing. Uh, lots of black, lots of navy blue, so many blazers. We got some wide leg pants, but mostly skinny pants and stilettos. It, it's a pretty narrow look. So in order to answer our question of whether women can actually dress for success, we've got to talk about the very real and very practical obstacles that get in our way. And to help us get into this, here's Marina from Edmonton, Alberta. All the way in northern Canada, um, I struggle with formal wear a lot as a plus-size woman. And it's really difficult to sometimes adhere to the image of what should be formal. And especially as a, a plus-size woman, too, you either fall into two categories. You either end up wearing really oversized, uncomfortable formal wear or you dress hyper-feminine. And it's like you have no other option. Yeah. It's hard being a plus-size lady. It is, which is honestly even more maddening when you consider what women off Google Images look like. Even though roughly 67% of American women wear at least a size 14, professionalism is still modeled as a one-size-fits-all look. Now, some clothing companies are slowly starting to respond to that need, but definitely not fast enough for listener Tracy, who gets comments about her shape no matter what she wears. Tracy writes, I wanted to share my experience as an ahem, well-endowed woman in the professional workplace. For reference, I'm 5'7 and 150 pounds, but wear a 32 double G bra. I've been told multiple times that the clothing I'm wearing is, quote, inappropriate, even if it's covering me from neck to ankles. There's no hiding these babies. It feels like I'm inherently sexualized, even more so than women typically are, because my breasts are so obvious. It's like I can't win, either wear baggy sweaters and feel frumpy, wear dresses and be told that my butt's too big, or just wear normal clothing that everyone in the office wears and be called out for it. It's some bullshit, and it needs to change. Yeah, I totally feel Tracy's pain. Like, I don't have 32 double Gs, but girl, like every button up shirt I put on has the gap issue. But the challenge goes way beyond breasts, y'all. Oh, and particularly for African-American women who catch a ton of flack about their hair in the workplace. Even if their work wardrobe is super minimalist, it doesn't matter what they wear. In a 2016 study, for instance, participants said that Black women's natural hair was less attractive and less professional than when it was straightened. Okay? Come on. Texture does not determine how good of an employee you will be. It is 2018. Why have we not figured this out yet? Oh, we certainly have not figured this out yet. Those racist attitudes about hair can get in the way of being hired. In May, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case of a woman who'd been denied a job because she had dreadlocks. And the lower court's rulings basically said that, no, it's okay, the employer's right, you know? This decision isn't about race because, frankly, anyone can have dreadlocks. It doesn't matter that this is a more traditionally black hairstyle. This is about a company's policies on, quote, reflecting a business and professional image and not having, quote, excessive hairstyles. I find that some excessive nonsense. And for even more excessive nonsense, when it comes to the impossibility of projecting the perfect professional image, we got to consider what happens when your gender identity doesn't check the right binary box. Listener Nicole shared with us just how much more pressure and anxiety that can put on picking out the quote-unquote 
right outfit. I am a law student, and I live in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and around the law school, I feel very comfortable dressing to my gender identity. It's a very liberal law school that I'm at, very accepting. Um, but when I go on interviews, I wear very feminine clothes. And so my closet is kind of in this dichotomy of men's clothes and women's clothes. Um, and I wear women's clothes because at the end of the day, I need a job. I need to survive. And I know I need to conform in order to do those things. And so recently, I got a job at a fantastic law firm, very well respected in Chicago. And I wore, you know, my feminine outfit. And um, I was given the job. And I'm really excited to work there um, this summer. But the partners that I was hired by came to my law school for a separate event and saw me. And at the law school, I was wearing men's clothes. And nothing happened but the amount of fear and anxiety that washed over my body was exactly the way that I felt living in the South before coming to Chicago, um, dressing in men's clothes and being made fun of. And I just completely froze. Um, and it wasn't a part of myself that I was ready to share with them. Um, but that kind of anxiety is something that I live with every single day. Nicole's experience goes to show how the standard thinking on dressing for success often just serves to reinforce gender norms that a lot of us, our identities aside, simply aren't comfortable adhering to. And then on top of gender norms, we also have those layers of race, ability, ethnicity, and religion that further complicate it. But the thing is, gender norms are precisely what professional dress codes are built on. Workplaces are increasingly trending towards, you know, so-called gender-neutral dress policies. But legally speaking, at least, there's still a prevailing argument that it's in business's interest to require employees to dress according to those binary gender norms. In fact, a lot of case law supports that kind of thinking that just like that Supreme Court case that you just mentioned, Caroline, with the dreadlocks, that it's in business's interest to be able to dictate dress and grooming standards for their employees. And we should also remember, too, that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act bans sexist dress code policies, but it only applies to employers that have at least 15 employees. So there's a whole Wild West out there. And let's not forget about makeup. Like, plenty of workplace dress and grooming standards require women to wear makeup. And guess what, y'all? It's totally not illegal, even though it might sound like sex discrimination. The court has said that makeup requirements typically aren't a so-called undue burden on female employees, again, because of that business interest to have professional standards. And I find it so ironic that even though there is a clear difference, like the Supreme Court has ruled, specifically in a case of a former Harrah's casino bartender who said, I don't want to wear lipstick and have to do my hair like the company says I have to do, to which the court said, well, even though you don't like to wear makeup, I mean, a lot of women do, so mm, sorry. But we heard from lots of you who don't. Listener Cheryl wrote, My dilemma, I hardly ever wear makeup, but I recently got promoted at work and now feel pressure, not sure if it's just internal pressure or nonverbal cues from others, 
to wear makeup to look more professional, as most of the upper-level ladies in my company are always done up to the hilt, including high heels, also something I never wear, and makeup. I'm having a battle with myself as I want to look professional, but don't think I should have to wear makeup or heels to achieve this as my male counterparts do not. Sounds like an undue burden to me, American court system. And plus, when we consider what Nicole, our genderqueer caller, has to navigate, enforcing his and hers dress codes absolutely gets in the way of feeling your best and actually being able to focus on your work and excel. I mean, y'all heard Nicole... To dress for success can be a form of survival. When we come back, we're going to unpack trunks full of clothing claptrap to take a look at how all of these dressing for success gender roles even got here. Stick around. We're back, and we're talking about getting dressed for work. We want to know who set the ground rules for power dressing and how dressing for success has evolved. She's looking for a job, Pat is, and she's dressed for it, too. Tastefully, not expensively. Beth, the receptionist, wears a smart wool dress with a zippered plunge neckline. She can see that Pat's pin dot jersey, Peter Pan collar, and sideswept beret make her a likely candidate. So Pat gets a come on in from the boss's secretary. It's the big moment. To find out, we need to unpack some wardrobe claptrap. In our Unpack the Claptrap segment, we wade through patriarchy's clearance racks to find out why things are the way they are. So, as for who set the ground rules for power dressing... First of all, it's worth remembering that ideas about clothes and power, what to wear, and who's taken seriously, they have always revolved around class and money. And when it comes to professionalism, the men with the money. No surprise, then, that when it came to professional fashion in the West, white men in their suits have always been the sartorial standards. But even though we think of suiting as stuffy... They're way more utilitarian than women's dress-up clothes. I mean, they come with pants for plenty of mobility. And of course, pockets. The power of pockets is so real, Caroline. Not to go off on a whole tangent on this, but y'all, in the history of gendered clothing, there came a point when basically, like, men got their men's clothes and women just kept wearing dresses. And you know what changed it all? Pockets. Men got the pockets with their pants. And then they took away our petticoats, and we got more form-fitting clothes. And since pockets don't lay perfectly, it, quote-unquote, ruins a silhouette. And we've been having to fight for our pocket equality ever since. I mean, this is <laughs> – I just have to read you this New York Times quote from acclaimed suffragist Charlotte P. Gilman from 1905. She said, one supremacy there is in men's clothing, it's adaptation to pockets. Women have from time to time carried bags, sometimes sewn in, sometimes tied in, sometimes brandished in hand, but a bag is not a pocket. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. Today, if you want the benefit of pockets, there's at least one job out there where you can find them. Here's listener Lisa, a historical reenactor who loves her petticoats. I'm calling from Arlington, Virginia, and let me tell you, colonial-era pockets are the literal best invention ever. Um, they're about the length of my forearm, and there are two of them. It's great. 
Okay, so I don't think that we can make petticoats happen again. (laughs) I mean, in fact, women's power dressing has historically meant throwing off things like corsets and petticoats and dressing, well, like men. Yeah, I mean, not to mention the original rules of dressing for success were written, drumroll please, by a dude. The very concept of women's power dressing really took off in the 1970s thanks to a guy named John T. Malloy. In 1975, he published a book for men called Dress for Success, and it was such a smash hit, he followed it up in 1977 with the woman's Dress for Success book. Ooh. Malloy's whole premise was that in order for women to dress for the job you want to have— We should wear so-called success suits, specifically dark blue skirt suits with a white blouse, pantyhose, and plain pumps. Don't y'all ever be caught dead wearing boots, platform shoes, peasant dresses, or florals. Malloy was so convinced of this success suit strategy, he told the New York Times, quote, Women appearing on television should wear it. Leaders of the feminist movement should wear it. They cannot have equal status and equal pay without a collective image equal to that of men. Without a uniform, there is no equality of image. And Caroline, I agree with maybe like 30 percent of that. Like, (laughs) as we'll talk about more, I think there is a lot of power in a uniform, but The problem that we are only now starting to wrap our heads around, I think, as working women is the fact that we don't have to be a chip off the old patriarchal block, that trying to recreate ourselves as successful women in the image of what male success has looked like literally, it just hasn't gotten us anywhere. Retailers and customers alike took Malloy's advice to heart. Department stores stocked their shelves, and annual suit sales rose significantly, while dress sales bottomed out. It's true that the 1970s was when women at large started wearing pants at home and also in the workplace. However, once we get to the 1980s, all those old rules about women dress more like men and you'll be taken more seriously like men fly out the window because fashion comes in, along with a cultural backlash against feminism, and says, ladies, 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 don't let all your women's liberation just destroy all of your beauty. You need to start dressing like women again. Come on. To be liberated is to be beautiful. And so those fashion labels and retailers, most of which were and are still run by men, were complaining that skirt suits and shoulder pads would not make you get ahead, but rather make you into a, quote, imitation man. In news that is shocking to no one, it seems like we can never win. For a real-world example, just look at what women politicians and candidates have to put up with. Yeah. In focus groups on women candidates and electability, prospective voters are like a project runway panel. They actually advise those hypothetical women candidates to pay extra meticulous attention to wardrobe, makeup, and overall appearance if they want to make it work on the campaign trail. But even winning elections and sticking to a conservative pantsuit routine can't guarantee that folks will stay focused on your message. Hillary Clinton is the poster pantsuit for this, and we're not talking about the dreaded election of 2016. In 2007, when she was Senator Hillary Clinton of New York, 
Her cleavage made news. I am not kidding. The Washington Post headline was, quote, Hillary Clinton's tentative dip into new neckline territory. Nope. Let me let me just keep reading. Please, this is this is news people must know. Yes, thank you Washington Post. Quote, she was talking on the Senate floor about the burdensome cost of higher education. She was wearing a rose-colored blazer over a black top. The neckline sat low on her chest and had a subtle V-shape. The cleavage registered after only a quick glance. No scrunch-face scrutiny was necessary. There wasn't an unseemly amount of cleavage showing, but there it was. Undeniable. But why are they bothering to look that closely at her chest, of all things? Well, apparently the high cost of higher education she was talking about wasn't sexy enough, so (laughs) they were like, oh, is that a subtle V-shape top she's wearing? It's also called V-neck people. (laughs) If even Hillary can be sexualized when wearing a pantsuit, that all calls into question whether dressing in a more masculine way, trying to cover our distracting curves as much as possible, is a reliable outfit for success. Because what's happening beneath our clothes are those gender norms that our professional dress codes enforce. And a listener who wants to remain anonymous also raises another important wrinkle— A super common dress code complaint is having to wear skirts or dresses. But what if on the flip side, your job won't let you? Hi, ladies. Uh, I work in public lands, and my work is a mix of standing inside a stuffy office built in the 1960s and leading hikes through the forest under the hot sun. So for me, both of those activities are more comfortable in a skirt. It helps me keep cool and also uh, keeps my badge from getting sweaty when I'm hiking. But wearing a skirt on the job is easier said than done in my field. When I worked for the National Park Service, they would only allow me to wear their uniform skirt if I wore nylons with it. And then they said I wasn't allowed to wear it while leading hikes. Now I work for the Forest Service, and while they used to have a canvas work skirt in their uniform catalog, now they only offer a thick wool skirt which totally defeats the purpose. Now, I know female rangers before me were forced to do everything in a skirt and actually fought for the right to wear pants, but I thought that the goal was for us to be able to make our own clothing choices, not that we would be forced into one or the other. And it's just really frustrating to me that uniform has come to be synonymous with traditionally male clothes, at least at my job. And that listener is so right. Women did. And and in some conservative industries like finance and law, they're still fighting for the right to wear pants or colors and be comfortable. But since power dressing has always trended more masculine, never more feminine, that hasn't necessarily made it easier to get dressed for work. Not to mention, dress codes today are becoming increasingly casual, but our gender roles and stereotypes still expect women to look a certain way. And Caroline, this reminds me actually of something that I recently discovered in the whole millennial startup relaxed dress code workplace, where a working mom friend of mine is in a leadership position in a startup that has like a loose dress code, you know, just like where you, you wear what you would after work to work. However, her boss had to sit her down and tell her that she needed to come up with a more of like a signature style. Like they're expected to express their creativity in high-end but probably like minimalist types of clothes. Basically, they were saying how they wanted her to look 
as a leader of this brand. Never mind that her performance is stellar. Like, she she just needs to step up her style game. Do they pay her to do that? No. And it's not a thing of, like, you have to wear makeup. You need to look sexy. It's none of that. But she was just like... I am a mom with kids and I'm here and I'm doing a great job and you're telling me that I need to spend more money to wear more of a signature style so that I look like more of a tech startup leader. Cool. No thanks. With all of these anecdotes, though, it raises a bigger nagging question of whether we should have to conform at all. You know, we have these dress codes that can feel so at odds and even discriminatory of who we are as individuals. And getting taken seriously at face value should not have to rely on wearing a particular thing or wearing my concealer. But because of all the identity baggage stitched into our professional wardrobes, it just feels like a constant compromise. So how do we negotiate all of this? When we come back, Unladylike listeners help us do just that and share how they've reclaimed their professional closets. And how that's affected their workplace well-being. Stick around. We're back. And Caroline, one thing I was really curious about this whole dress for success conundrum is whether it's really a thing. Like, can our clothes act as our suit of armor in the workplace and make us feel more confident? I feel like they can sometimes. Well, what did you find out, though, scientifically? Scientifically, two words, enclosed cognition. Yeah, I'm, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. So basically, enclosed cognition is the idea that what we wear can affect our mental and physical performance. So in one study, psychologists found that giving people lab coats to wear and telling them that it's either a doctor's lab coat or a painter's smock kind of made them think about themselves differently. So when they were wearing the lab coat and thought that they were dressed up as a doctor, they actually showed heightened attention to detail, whereas when they thought they were dressing up as a painter in the same coat, mind you, there was really no attention change. So it's kind of like the power of the symbolism of our clothes, really. So to dress for success, we should all start wearing lab coats with the doctor name tag on them? You know, I think that that could get you arrested Hmm. if you do that in a hospital. (laughs) Um, And I wish it were that simple because the thing about enclosed cognition or or wearing an outfit that makes you feel like you're more confident and powerful doesn't magically account for all the negative sexist value judgments other people will make about you. However, that emerging research suggests that our outfits still can give us a cognitive edge, which is pretty neat. So from your research and from all of the listeners that we heard from, Kristen, it seems like the fundamental advice is to find an outfit that works for you and doesn't get you fired and stick with it. Like maybe that's the key to hacking your own enclosed cognition. Yeah, kind of figuring out like what your version of that magical lab coat might be. And obviously, 
this is not going to be the same process for everyone. This will be harder for some folks than others, depending on who you are, what you do, where you want to go. But still, the more you can kind of find your own personal work uniform, it seems like the better. I mean, although this is coming from someone whose current work uniform leans a little too much into the sweatpants area. So this is advice for myself as well. <laughs> and we're, we're not talking in terms of a personal uniform like those capsule wardrobes you like cycle through every few seasons. It's more about legit repetition. Like Kate, who wore the same dress every day. Hi, my name is Kate and I live in San Francisco, California. I feel like plus size women in particular have a hard time finding things that fit. And then no matter what we wear, we're sort of viewed as sloppy anyway. Uh, so I decided to tackle the problem by, um, when I was a kid, I had read that Einstein had worn a uniform, so the same thing every single day. And two years ago, I decided to give it a try for myself. I now wear the exact same black dress every single day. Or rather, I wear multiples of about eight of the exact same black dresses. Uh, I found one that worked for my climate, and that was it. And I think two years later, I still love it. It saved me a lot of time, money, and I think the biggest thing has been mental load. I no longer freak out about what to wear in the morning. I know that I always look good. And I found that even in professional environments, it turns out that most people don't even notice. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's actually the thing that's singly most improved my happiness in the last couple of years. I mean, I love that advice. It's so practical. And it sounds like Kate found what we are all striving for, like a dress code option or wardrobe choice. That's comfortable, it's versatile, it's affordable, it doesn't drive you crazy, and it doesn't turn into an undue burden. And Caroline, as a callback to John T. Malloy and the rise of all of those pants suits in the 1970s when pants shot way up and all the dresses went down, well, today, if we look at that same graph, you see pants suits plummeting, but you know what's on the rise? What? Leggings. Oh, yes. Yes. Leggings and athleisure. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there is a lot of struggle still. However, I think the rise of leggings in the workplace is a sign of progress. I'm just <laughs> going to say that because if we're talking about comfort and versatility, you can't beat a legging. But what's fascinating, though, to see among like really powerful women today who are, probably aren't wearing leggings to work yet is how. They're often wearing a signature work uniform, too, and repeating it over and over again. Like, once you start to look, it's there. So maybe that is a pantsuit, a la German Chancellor Angela Merkel or Hillary Clinton. Or maybe it's adding your signature flair to a work uniform, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg does when she pairs her judge's robe with a flashy collar when she's delivering an especially fiery descent. We're even seeing women like Ariana Huffington encouraging us to repeat dresses and say screw it to the feminized fashion standard of always needing a new look, which I feel like I wish someone older and wiser had sat me down when I was a young woman just out of college, flushing my money down the toilet on all sorts of new outfits that I honestly just could not afford. Oh, same here. I also love this advice we received from globetrotting listener Cosmina. She's worked in museums and tourism around the world and writes, quote, so far, what I've learned is not everything works with an office blazer. Cardigans are not magic capes as much as I'd like them to be. I disagree. <laughs> and you still have to be mindful of your audience, but be kind to yourself and your body. And this is something that she's collected, kind of dressing for success 
in different cultures and seeing how people react. And she says right now she's in Sweden and people are super low-key about it. <laughs> Yet another reason why Scandinavia rules. I love that advice from Cosmina. I mean, I feel like the whole element of being kind to yourself and your body is an ingredient that's missing from a lot of our conversations about dress codes and getting dressed for work. Our bodies are so often treated as a liability when in reality, like, dressing shouldn't be so painful. And on that note, we have a special dress for success send-off from neither a business mogul nor a fashion icon. Instead, stand-up comic and actor Kate Berlant is here with an unladylike pep talk. Oh, and Caroline, I cannot tell you how often I could use this pep talk we're about to hear to get dressed because I, I just have days where I'm, I stand frozen in front of my closet for minutes, maybe hours. I don't want to keep track of the time. And I know I can't be the only one. I hope I'm not the only one. Well, Kristen and listeners, Kate is here to give you a boost on those days when perhaps you're naked and afraid, sitting in front of your closet feeling paralyzed by what to wear. We think her sense of humor about the whole thing will be just the antidote you need to get dressed and ready, finally. Ugh, oh, clothes. Clothing. Shirts, pants, dresses, socks and shoes. You've heard it all. Oh, clothes. It's so hard to get dressed sometimes. Why is that? Society. It's hard. It's um, Some people find getting dressed a creative process. Clothes turn them on. It makes them excited. Other people, it fills them with dread. And for those people, I would say invest in a uniform. Who cares? Just have like three things you like to wear or that you kind of like to wear and just wear them constantly. That's cool. Get the same, get three pairs of the same pants if you need to. You're allowed to look and project whatever you want, and on days when you don't feel like being just overtly sexualized even more than you already are because you're a woman, you can wear a cloak or whatever you want, and that's fine. You don't need to constantly be um, gorge, as, um, as they say, or striving to be. If your boss or some other piece of shit who has nothing to offer um, looks at you a certain way or says something to you based on what you're wearing, um, obviously I can't advocate violence, but you can verbally, um, kick their ass. Just embrace the, the anger that you have towards the men that make you feel that way and know that they're worthless and they will never understand. I hate them and I hate them for you. Those beautiful moments when it's actually fun to get dressed and you have something you're excited to put on and you have some extra time to anoint yourself with oil and listen to some music, that's great. Relish in that. But don't expect every time that you're going to get dressed that you're going to be able to have that kind of a ritual. Sometimes you're going to be in a rush and it's going to feel like shit and you're not going to love what you're wearing and you're still going to get through the day. And that's really all that matters. And at the end of the day, no one really cares what you're wearing. Although in corporate America, I guess there there are like evil men. Um... Who, who are dying off slowly. So congratulations on even getting dressed because it's so hard and the world has made it a very complicated experience. But you got to do it, so get dressed. Yeah. 
You heard the woman. Go get dressed. And you can find more of Kate's brilliance on screen in the new film, Sorry to Bother You, out now. Also, do yourself a fave and watch her on the Netflix special, The Characters. And in the meantime, listeners, we want to hear more from y'all about how you dress for success. Do you have a go-to uniform? Do you totally subvert the whole professional and appropriate thing? We'd love to be able to share your tips with fellow listeners. And y'all, we want to see your power dressing prowess, too. So, hey, why not tag us in your poorly lit office bathroom selfies and share your stories and pictures on social at Unladylike Media. You can also drop us a line at hello at unladylike.co. You can find all the sources for this week's episode, as usual, over at unladylike.co, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter full of actually good news about women. And you can pre-order our book, which has all sorts of claptrap explained about clothing and, yes, pockets. I'm a little obsessed with gender and pockets, to be honest, Caroline. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Her dress for success tip is to buy 400 pairs of Gloria Vanderbilt Amanda Stretch jeans. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Special thanks to Hannah Crichton. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week. I want you to finish the sentence. A real friend is someone who... Um, is loyal to your friend and someone who stands up for them and helps them. Someone who cares about you. A real friend is nice and kind to you. We're talking about friends and how to date them, but platonically. Make sure you subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. (laughs) Is it going to be weird, Abigail, if like next time we see each other, I'm wearing identical pants as you? (laughs) <laughs> no. It's what? Gloria Vanderbilt, Amanda Stretch Jeans. Uh, Gloria Vanderbilt still makes jeans? Stitcher.